0: radioinfluence.com
1: You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City
2: Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so glad that you're here once again to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And what a podcast we have. As you know, we took last week off, just wanted to take a break. And with all the craziness going on in the world, and I said to myself, I said, David Penzer, who could we have on the podcast next week to add some positivity in a crazy world that we live in right now and didn't take me but about two seconds to think of uh former wcw world heavyweight champion diamond dallas page so i texted diamond dallas page and he got right back to me and said sure and uh, we're gonna start off the interview doing talking a little bit about what's been going on in the world uh but um also, a lot of wrestling stuff. He was very generous with his time. If you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you know I liken it to uh, riding in the car with uh, the guys going from one town to another. So uh, for this one, consider yourself going from Atlanta to Macon, Georgia with a WCW World Heavyweight Champion, a man with an incredible story and a WWE Hall of Famer. And some of the stories he tells I had never heard, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy them. So right now, ladies and gentlemen, so happy to bring some positivity to your day in these uncertain times. Please welcome WWE Hall of Famer, WCW World Champion, Diamond Dallas Page. Ladies and gentlemen, the name of this podcast is City Ringside and never was that so apropos as I got to sit ringside 25 years ago and watch my guests this week achieve notoriety in professional wrestling that I'm not sure that anybody but himself thought could be achieved. And uh, when uh, we're going through some rough times in this country, in this world with a pandemic and, and peaceful protests, Uh, I thought to myself, who's the most positive person I could get on this podcast. And, uh, only one person came to mind and I'm honored that he was able to jump on. I'm talking about ladies and gentlemen, former WCW world heavyweight champion. I haven't done this in a while. DDP DDP, diamond Dallas page. Welcome to city ringside.
3: (laughs) Good to be here, Dave. You know, uh, it really is, uh, uh, a crazy time right now, but, uh, you know, it's like anything we're going to get through, you know, we're going to get through it and, and hopefully, uh, it will be better for it, you know, and that's my hope.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, I didn't call to, you know, obviously to discuss the ins and outs of what's going on, but I knew that you would be a positive, uh, influence on, on, you know, just talking about wrestling and, and DDPY, which we'll talk about, um, the story of your life really is, um, you kept achieving success, but you weren't happy with the success you achieved. So you always wanted more. Um, I don't know if a lot of people will remember because it was so long ago, but uh, before you got involved in the wrestling business as a manager, you owned a very successful nightclub in uh, Fort Myers called Norma Jeans. Um, why? Yeah. What you know, that was the really the first time when you when you moved on to the wrestling business that you started over from already achieving success. Why? What? Why? why move on. Why not just rest on the laurels of having the the biggest party bar in, uh, in Fort Myers?
3: Well, you know, clubs are are very cyclical. They're there today and gone tomorrow. We were lucky. We had like a five year run and it still stayed a couple of years after I left. But, but I knew that, you know, it's always going to the next club. Like I literally opened over my, my career in the business, six or six or seven six or seven clubs that I built, you know, and uh, you're always going to the next club. You don't really get like in that restaurant. You can have that restaurant 40 years later and still be, you know, gaining popularity with a restaurant. Uh, You can also get that restaurant that falls. And and I can't imagine because of what's happened in the last six months, five months, um, how restaurants are really going to rebound from this. Like only the cream de la crème will, you know, get through this because when you take away, you know, something that people have built a business on and then turn around and then, okay, you're closing. (laughs) We're closing. (laughs) We still got overhead. You know, the country went, you know, $3 trillion in debt and I would really love to have a, fly on the wall where that money really went you know I'm sure some of it went to where it's supposed to but a lot of it especially the first time around did not uh, I was interviewed uh, on TMZ uh, and on um, CNN with Anderson Cooper because uh, maybe they closed gyms they closed everything and I closed mine before anybody told me to do it but uh, and I, I was very fortunate that my DDP, you know, our DDPY brand, my DDP Yoga Performance Center. That's not where we made our money, you know. Like we, we made money there, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, like what we do with our app. And our, and I was blown away how many DVDs we saw over the last uh, five months, and very grateful too. But you know, people, some people don't want to deal with an app, even though ours is the best you know, without question, the best app you can get. Um, that's where we make all of our, you know, our company has grown to a multi-million-dollar company through our DVDs and and our app. Um, so when I closed the uh, performance center, uh, it did take money away and, uh, everybody had, you know, within a month, everyone had closed their gyms, everyone, you know, closed their restaurants and, uh, you know, coming back to that is going to be so hard for so many people. So many people got, you know, locked out. And I, I know you didn't call me to get in to talk about this, but I mean, you talk about the perfect storm as far as um, that poor man who uh, was basically, you know, just executed on Online, it was just so horrible, man. Uh, and I believe it, it's woken up our country at a different level. And these kids aren't going to school, these kids aren't working. So they they put their energy where uh, it changed the world stuff. Like, this reminds me when I was a kid in the 60s in Vietnam, the protests from Vietnam. It changed, like, they weren't getting out of Vietnam. But because there were so many crazy protests, you know, and it just didn't go away. I don't believe this is going to go away. I believe, again, my hope is that this becomes, turns into something. I I called Booker T last night. Me and Booker have been tight forever since we worked together. We've done a bunch of stuff after that, too. And I just called him and see how my boy was doing, man. And uh, we had a great talk. And he told me that he actually was in a... um, a very nice, you know, chill protest that night. And they went out there and they did the walk. And uh, it was organized by three white kids. Yeah, oh
2: yeah, you know, yeah. It's, uh, it's
3: it's not a it's, it's not a it's
2: not a race movement. It's a it's a a, it's movement. a human being. It's a exactly. Human, it's
3: a human being thing. And, exactly. And that's stupid. And I love cops. I'll be the first. I got a lot of cops who are a friend of mine. And there are a lot of really amazing men who have given off to the greater good and have been amazing cops. And then, as we know, there are ones that are not, and that, you know, has rocked the world and that, uh, you know, that, I don't even want to call him a cop. The guy who had his knee on the back of that that man's neck and, uh, it, um, you know, he—you he, know—the guy wasn't being belligerent. He wasn't being an asshole. He was saying, "Please, please, yep. I can't breathe." He, he put his neck—he put his knee on the back of Bambi's neck. Now, this guy's also been in porn. Who cares? He was what he does with his with his work. That's people at all. He was a porn star, and that's a bad thing, Mike. Why? He was important. He was, in porn. Boy, was a porn. Yeah. Oh, he, I didn't he, know he that. He had done porn. Yeah, oh, yeah. Good for him, Yeah. You. You know, Good good guy, good for him. You know, like but the bottom the, the bottom line is, you know, he was everything that I see we got a gentle giant and it was just he is gonna be the guy that you know will hopefully change this for the greater good. Because I don't I've never you know I have never seen the difference between white, black, yellow, or brown. Never seen it. Hallelujah. I look at people for for people, man? Like, are you a good person? Yeah, you got my attention. You're a good person. We get to know each other. You know, we build a relationship that lasts a lifetime. You know, so you know, um, bottom line is, man, yeah, I'm still super. I'm positive in that that's going to turn into something really good. You know, and it's going to take some time. I saw where Goodell from the NFL. I mean, he he moved a lot of people by saying what he said, and he basically uh, said, "Now I get it." And it's been a long time, you know, that that this this crazy shit's been happening. So we we'll, uh, hopefully it, it, it will all be for the greater good. So now let's go into your uh, yeah. <laughs> your uh, questions, my friend.
2: No, that's okay, I, and thanks for that. Uh, I I I hope, um, you know, I said hallelujah, and, and I hope that uh, that that this will be a change, and I hope that people are starting to wake up. And and look, it's woken me up a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I can't, I don't know what it's like to grow up, uh, in, in that neighborhood, in that area with that skin color. But, um, but what we, what we're seeing hopefully will be the, the Arbinger of better things to come and, uh, and, and some real solutions. Cause I think, like you said, this is like Vietnam, even though I was like six months old during Vietnam and I don't remember it, but I, I've watched a lot of, uh, Video of it. And yeah, this is, this is not going away. Hey, I wanted to talk about early in your career. You got to do something that most people look back and say they either never did you got to, or, or wish they did. You got to work with the, uh, one and only Gordon solely. Uh, talk to me about that. Was that intimidating at all? I would be flipped.
3: Uh, you know, it was how it came together. Um, I had been working in the AWA and the whole time I've got my club in Fort Myers and I, I wanted to be involved with Florida Championship Wrestling. So I gave him Michael Graham. I sent him a video and I had a buddy of mine. You know, I've always had great relationships with people and he worked for the news, a local. He was a sportscaster on the news and he took me in and we did stuff with green screen back when no one even knew what green screen was. Yeah, And we had me popping out of crowds. We had this crowd. I wish I still had it. Cause it was an amazing sizzle reel of about six minutes. And it really got over like what I was trying to do in you know, the shows I'd done on AWA and I sent it up to Michael, uh, Michael Graham. And one night, He calls me and I've got strep throat and I got to be in a plane in the morning. So I'm trying not to talk, I'm trying to get to bed early. And bed early for me was three or four o'clock in the morning (laughs) because of the club business. But I, I had stayed home the night before And, you know, I'd uh, been to bed like at 11 o'clock and still rustling around and around 1130, my phone rings. And, you know, back then there was answering machines and you could hear the person who was calling and I let it go to the answering machine. And I hear all of a sudden, DDP, Michael Graham, pick up the phone. DDP. Hey Mike, how you doing? He said, what's the matter with you? I said, I got strep throat. He goes, I don't want to hear that. He said, uh, I'm sitting here with Dusty Rose. He says we are, uh, Dusty um, is coming in to back the Florida Championship Wrestling, and we're going to repot the territory. He told me he wanted to bring in Baby Doll or Humperdinck or Gary Hart and I told him, no, no, let's get someone new. Let's get this Diamond Dallas Page kid. You know, and he had no idea who you were, so I gave him a little, you know, information. He goes, I want to put you on the phone with him and I want you to blow him away like he's the biggest mark. And I'm like, no, no. I, <laughs> I got I've got nothing planned. I I he goes, don't wanna hear it. And I uh hello and I just went boom. Good God, Dust the Road, the tower, power, the man of the Hour, toots weaken the tower, getting funky like a monkey with D D P dollar's face. And I just went on for 45, 50 seconds, and I got to the end of it. I just stopped. I said, That's all I got, Dusty. I have got a strap throat. <laughs> That's a great story. And, remember dude, and he, he didn't say that. So I'm like, dusty. Oh, hello, dusty. And then I hear it felt like it was five minutes. It was probably like 15 seconds, you know, but he's ribbing me, you know, sure. Completely silent. And then I hear, was that a recording kid? <laughs> and, uh, I was like, no, Dusty, that's me. He goes, listen, I, I want, I want to meet with you. I want you. To, I, I know you're going to out do work for the AWA this weekend. You'll do that. When you get back to F L A, you, I want you up here in Tampa to meet with me on Monday and blah blah blah. So I go up there, and I'm figuring if he's going to try to get me to come in as a manager and pay me two hundred bucks a week. I can't do that. I'm making $1,500 right. a week at a time. I'm not leaving my night job, but I would love to get involved and do some spot shows and you know maybe do TV or whatever. So I come in there and Michael Graham, Steve Kern, Gordon Soley, and Dusty Rhodes are in the room as I walk in. That's so not intimidating, in at least. Dude, I-, I tell you what, just Dusty was enough for me. Yeah, you know exactly, what I mean? Exactly. Um, and I, when I shook his hand, though, I felt, I don't know how to explain it, but a brotherhood. I didn't feel like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's Dusty. Oh, my God, oh, my God. I felt like this guy's my brother. And I just, I sat down and he asked me to tell him my story. And I did. And after it, he said to me, "You know, kid, I can see some Captain Lou in you. I can see some Jesse Ventura in you. And to be truthful, I see a little bit of me in you." I figured so. Was- here's what we're gonna do here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put you with, you're going to be the Jeff Ventura of the nineties. We're going to have you doing our color commentating. And I was like, whoa, uh, Dusty, uh uh, I, I I don't want to say I can't do that, but I can't do that. I said, I don't know a wristwatch from a wristwatch. And he said, don't worry about it, kid. Gordon Soley, it's going to walk you through it all. And for the next year, every Tuesday, I worked next to Gordon Soli and we were live. Dusty, I would come up on Thursdays, because I wanted to get in the ring. That was the first time I'd gotten in a ring. Just to learn what the ring felt like. I, mean, I tried three matches when I was 23. But now I was 30, 32. And you know, I was just like, yeah, I just want to learn a couple things, learn a couple bumps. So I know how to react to what they're going through. Now i got to do color commentating. And um he'd bring me up in the office afterwards and he'd let me hang all day. And we'd talk about everything. he put me in booking meetings. He had me producing uh, not just my promos, but other people's promos. I mean, he took me under his wing and he fucking treated me like like I was somebody. And I was nobody. (laughs) And uh, he just had a special gift. So when I got the Gordon... You know, I was excited to learn, and if you watch any of those you know, the, those shows, my energy is so off the charts; it's too much at times, a lot of times. Uh, but he said, "What what you what you lack in knowledge, you give off in energy." I like it. You know, he used to call living on the edge of a Latin bolt. Yeah. You
2: know, it's, it's, I know, Dust, I know Dusty's a huge, um, was a huge influence in your career and, and Hey, I got, I got, I was a wrestling fan growing up watching Dusty Rhodes and Gordon Solie. That was uh that's what turned me onto the thing. Uh, it's amazing. I'll tell you, uh, Dallas with, um, We've done this now for two and a half years, almost every week, and we've had everybody from Terry Funk to, uh, you know, women wrestlers to uh, Pope uh, Elijah Burke and Tyrus, who, who who has branched off and is now a big deal over at Fox News, and. To a, almost to a person that's ever gotten to work with Dusty, it, it almost makes them emotional talking about it, how much of an influence he oh, was. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. it, I never realized how much he left his mark. I, kn- I knew he left his mark as a performer and as a booker. I never realized how much he, he left his mark with uh, you know probably 30 years worth of um, talent And it just, I expect these stories now. Uh, and, 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 and I know he was a huge part of, of your career. And yeah, once you get past dusty, I guess Gordon Sully's not as, uh, not as, not as uh, (laughs) intimidating, but, um, you want to hear a funny story? All right. So I'm not, I'm, I'm the only one who can't do a dusty Rhodes voice. So impersonation, so I apologize (laughs) in advance. I'm the only one, but, um, 25 years, about the same time that you were uh, on your ascending to stardom in WCW, um, Dusty pulled me aside and said, we need to get you to do some play by play. And I said, I'm game for anything. And he actually put me with Larry Zbysko to do play by play for uh, Nitro Europe, which was a week behind. So I did, used a different name and pitched to myself in the ring. But um his, his, his thought process, <laughs> the funny thing about it is his thought process. And I, I, I've yet to, I haven't seen Cody since I remembered this story. So maybe if you see him, you could tell him, but his thought process was, he said, you know, Tony Schiavone not going to be around primetime in 25 years.
0: <laughs> that, that
2: may be the one, that may be the one time he was wrong. Cause I could swear. I turn on yeah, TNT right. every Wednesday and I see Tony Schiavone, but, uh, but yeah, it was just, I, I thought yeah. of that story. It's funny. so,
3: you get a job as a manager. Wait, 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 wait before, before you go, let me give you another story. Sure, when, hey. When Smokey, when, when Larry Jetta, I called him Smokey, co-wrote my book with me, he did all the biography part, I did the autobiography part, um, he interviewed everyone. And we wrote that as a biography, autobiography, and then third person, which would have been everyone from Dusty Rhodes to Gordon Soli, to Jay Leno, to John Bon Jovi, Carl Malone, like everybody, Hulk Hogan, Nash Hall. They all, we put their stories in. Because, you know, it was always my, you know, the one I remember, you remember, then what really happened, you know? <laughs> um, so I wanted their view on it. So when Smokey called Gordon, Gordon said hello, and he's like, uh, "Hello, Mr. Sully, This is uh, Larry Jenta, Dusty uh, Rhodes, uh, I, I think he called ahead of time with Charles the him, Who? Who? Who is this? <laughs> uh, this is Larry Jenta. This a Dusty. Dusty called. Oh yes, Mr. Jenta. Uh, yes. Um, what can I help you with?" He says, well, you know, I'm um, writing a book with Diamond Dallas Page, and, you know, I wanted to uh, get some of your comments and, what you know, what you thought of his time for a jump short Hmm. <laughs> Diamond <laughs> Dallas Page. Hmm. Hold on. And then, he does, and then he said he heard, like, drawers opening, closing, and, like, something for a file cabinet. and you could hear, like... <sighs> You know, closing, pulling in, closing. And about a minute later, he comes on, he goes, Diamond Dallas Page. I have nothing negative to say about them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't beat that. It's it classic. You it can't, can't beat that classic. in this business.
2: If, if, nobody has, if yeah. somebody like Gordon has nothing negative to say, that pretty much says it all. So yeah, right. so, you, go <laughs> you go up to you go up to WCW. You're the manager of the fabulous Freebirds, which is like was like my dream growing up, by the way. So you got to live my dream. Right. Um, you're what 35 years old at the time. 35. So. You, you, you decide that, you know what, I don't want to be just the manager of the fabulous Freebirds, one of the most iconic tag teams of all time. At 35 years old, I want to be a wrestler in WCW, which at the time was the number two promotion in, in probably the world, if not the country for sure. Um, although back then it was a distant number two. Um, what, what, what goes through your mind? Because uh, I know at the I time really probably, pretty much everybody thought
3: you were you're out of your mind. Well, you have to understand the backstory. Yeah, I met Michael in the AWA. Um, I ended up on a road trip. I had never been on a road trip ever. I, there was only one. I was always flying to Vegas, shoot AWA, and go home. Right. Do four shows. Be done. Well, this was when they were trying to do class. Not of champions, but some kind of super clash or whatever. They were trying to do a pay-per-view after Vince had done it. And they thought, well, we'll put. AWA, Memphis, and Dallas, WCCW together. I remember we'll this that. big pay-per-view. The, on the way there, we'd gone one weekend. We worked like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I don't know how, but I end up in a car with Michael Hayes in the back seat in a case of beer, and Jerry Jarrett and Eddie Marlin, the booker from Memphis, is in the front seat. And me and Hayes Bond, like, like I never realized how much we were alike. Like, our characters, everything. The long, blonde hair, the how we talk. Like, I, I didn't realize that. And when I got with him, I thought like this guy's like my twin brother. You know, just removed. And he's a wrestler. And um, he realized by the end of that car ride that I wasn't in the business to uh, be on TV. I was there because I loved the business and I was living a dream. Even though it was just the AWA, I was still living a dream. And he gave me his number and I would call him from time to time. And like Dusty, he would actually call me back. And to know how hard it is to get Michael Hayes to call you back, that he actually called me was a huge compliment. So when I come into when I come into WCW. You know, Michael's with Jimmy, Jimmy, two of the best talkers ever, Jimmy Jam Garvin, right. who, by the way, started DDP yoga a little over 30 days ago. Wow. He hasn't missed a day. Wow. Like, he already down a couple pounds, but he's his body's feeling so much better. So to get Jimmy to actually do it to me like one of the greatest compliments ever. Um because I, I, when I went on the road, when I got there, Michael told Jimmy, "I want to do something different here. Dallas, they don't know you." He said, "I want. We're going to have our backs to the camera." He looks at Jimmy. He goes, "This guy can talk. Let's see what he's got." You he go, know, he says, "You come through the middle of us and you cut the promo." I mean, talk about being baptism under fire. Sure, and you know, two of the greatest talkers ever aren't going to say anything. It's on me. Oh, geez. And I nailed it. And, uh, you know, the pressure's on, red light was on, you better nail it. And I did. And now we, we did all sorts of fun stuff and brought Humperdinck in and everything. Then I did Scott Hall and brought him in as the diamond stud and things. It looks like my career as a manager is really going to turn into something. And then Magnum pulls me over Magnum TA. Right. And he goes, listen, D. You know, I just got done talking to Dusty and you know, the bottom line is this is your last night managing. He's like, um, finish up the tour. You'll actually get tomorrow the next no, this weekend. But after that, you're done. He said, well, you can still do the color commentating, but you're, you're, you're not going to be managing anymore. I go, hey, what did I do wrong? Why, why that, why, why would that be? I thought everything was going great. He's like, listen, he goes, this isn't your fault. He said, with the hair, the clothes, the wrap, the bling, the dolls, no one's paying attention to the boys because <laughs> you're taking, it's It's not your fault, but you're taking the your attention away from the boys. And I look at them straight as fuck and go, Maggie, are you telling me that I'm too over the top for professional fucking wrestling? <laughs> And he says, it's not your fault, D. What we should have done was put you in a pair of tights and boots and see if you could do this. And he walked, he goes, has socks on his shoulder, he goes, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. And he walked away. And I thought, you know, I never got into this shit to fucking be a wrestler. I mean, to be a manager. I got into this when I was 23. And tried to do it. I had three matches in 1979. And I actually found someone sent me about five years ago a clipping from, you know, like these independent wrestling. Right. I have like some loosely piece of paper stapled together. They make it a program. Right. On the program is promoting a match that will be at this Indian center uh, and it's handsome Dallas page. <laughs> and that's what I went at. when I tried to wrestle because I was a huge mark for Handsome Jimmy Valiant as a kid, and you know I wanted to pay homage to Handsome Jimmy Valiant. Never realized I was kind, well, not kind of I was stealing his gimmicks, um, but uh, um, I couldn't believe I got that. And I knew, like I knew in 1979 that if I just paid my dues, that I was going to be a big star in wrestling. And thank God it didn't happen. But what happened in the mid 80s, wrestling blew up years. I hurt my knee in the first, third match. And I was actually given an opportunity to run my first, it was a rock and roll bar. It was one bar, rock and roll, you know, small little place, but we did business. And I got pulled into them. you know, the booze, the gloves, and the party. I always wanted to be a manager of a nightclub. Not a wrestler, it was a manager of a nightclub. Because then you get all the women. You get everything. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it's the best job any guy who loves women can get at. And I've always loved women. And um, bottom line is I got pulled away from the booze, the broads, and the party. With, with you know, just having too much fun. And then wrestling blew up huge in the 80s. And I stopped watching. I was so mad. I was so pissed that I wasn't a part of that. And it probably about a year or so I stopped watching. And then one day I was flicking the channels and I came across gorilla and he's with this dude who's got a leather jacket on and a, um, a boa, crazy sunglasses and a do rag and his voice, Jesse, the body, Ventura. who is this guy? He's amazing. So he sucked me in, and the first guy through the curtain got a bag he's holding over his, over his shoulder, and he looks like the baddest son of a bitch alive, Jake the Snake Roberts. I watched him in that ring from his entrance on out. His work was insane. Everything looked fucking real. And then he cut a promo that I thought, that son of a bitch is bad to the bone and I was, they put the snake on him, and, you know, I was like, this guy's the show, and to know that that's what pulled me in later, you don't know this, but one night, my, my club in Fort Myers, you jeans packed. I'm in the office in the back, and I have a camera on the front door and the back door, and I see this guy in the front door walk in looks just like Jake. So instead of going through the middle of the club because it's so packed, I come around the outside, walk in the front door. And I go to the girl, Judy, who's at the door. Judy, did a guy just walk in here that looked like Jake Snake Roberts? She goes, yeah, she everybody thinks it's him. I said, I'm going to see if it is. And I go, like, running in there and slow down when I see him. And I'm like, fuck, ah, it looks like him. <laughs> so I walk over and go, hey, bro, you Jake Snake Roberts? Who wants to know? <laughs> I said the guy who runs this place. He goes, "Yeah." I said, "What are we drinking?" <laughs> and that's how I met Jake. And of course, you know, I didn't charge him for anything. Oh, of course.
2: That's he, why, as soon as you said yeah. the guy who owns the place, he 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 got friendly because you know, free
3: bar tab. <laughs> exactly. But he told the other boys because if you're in Miami. And you've got to go to Tampa, which would probably be your next, you know, your next spot you go to. Right. That was a tour. You went from Tampa to Miami or Miami to Tampa. Either way, right in the middle of that is Fort Myers. And Jake found it first because he had worked at uh, the uh, Lee Civic Center that night. And he came to the club afterwards. And not a fact, he worked Tampa and he was on his way to Miami. That's what it was. He hadn't worked at Civic Center yet, but he told Ted DiBiase, dude, I have a picture with me and Ted DiBiase. I've never shown because of his Christian life now. with a picture of him, and imagine me being behind the bar, and he's not facing the bar. He's facing away from the bar, but he's leaning back. <laughs> and I have a bottle of tequila, and I'm pouring it straight into his mouth with about a foot between his face. And the bottle of tequila. And we were doing like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And he was at, and boom, I, I stopped porn. Then he did it to me. Then I did it to him. Then he did it to me. Bottom line is, so many of the boys came in there. And all of this started to make me think hmm, I'm going to use part of this. So on my commercials, because I did all my radio commercials. I might, in the middle of a commercial, go, Ooh, yeah, hot legs. Dig it. Don't miss. Hot legs. Wednesday night. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I might throw in Hulk. I might throw in Jesse. Either way, I was doing some voice somewhere, and they do, they do a... Uh, a story on the guy behind the voice. It's called the party news network. It's just in Southwest Florida, but these guys won. They filmed me in my 62 pig cataract. They filmed me at the radio studio. I'm wearing a WrestleMania t-shirt. I got the long, I got, I look just like that. I was beige back then. I kind of was. And, uh, then at some point they filmed me in my club. The night, about the week before, my buddy Smokey, he, uh, I'm collecting the drawers, for, meaning all the cash drawers at the end right. of the night. And my DJ has on, girls just want to have fun. Now, the club's close. He's just playing it. And I'm looking at it. And I'm watching Captain Lou Albano. And I believe Nikolai was in that, too. And and I'm watching it. And I just go rock and wrestling. Man. I should have been a part of that. And I took the drawers and went back into my office. Now all the bartenders are going to come in. And now we're all drinking. And Smokey comes in. And he goes, Paige J, what uh, What did you just, you just said rock and wrestling. You should have been a part of that. I go, oh, you heard that? He said, yeah. He goes, what the hell does that mean? I said, well, I tried it when I was a kid. And I said, he said, you did? What was your name? And that's what I told him. I go, handsome Dallas Page. And he goes, whoo, you can forget about using that gimmick anymore. And everybody <laughs> laughed. And we were drinking. And that night, I said to my I just couldn't get it out of my head. Now, the boys have been in here. I just saw that video. So I started daydreaming while we're drinking. And I just say, you know, I'm too old to be a wrestler. But what if I was Diamond Dallas Page? And I was a manager. Woo, shot, shot, drink, drink. I write it down. And I go, Jimmy Hart's got the Hart Foundation. I could have the diamond exchange. Shot, shot, drink, drink. And then I go, you know, it's about 3.30 in the morning at this point. I'm like, you know, there's there's not that many hot-looking women in wrestling. There really isn't. I go, Miss Elizabeth, she's hot. But she's like, girl, next door, hot. Sure. I said, what if I had a whole stable of ladies and I called them diamond dolls and they were stripper hot? And Smokey goes, oh, that would be a stretch. Oh, shot, shot, trick, <laughs> trick. So I wrote all of it down on that path. So now I'm being interviewed to this thing a week or so later. And the guy who's interviewing me finally says to me, I mean, it isn't like it's written like a story. He says to me, so, he goes, where does the voice come from? And I look down at that written Diamond Dolls page, Diamond Exchange, Diamond Dolls. And under that, I wrote B-A-double-D bad. And there's a pair of white sunglasses there. Now, David, I don't know if I do this if the sunglasses aren't there. But they are, and they're white and they're big. And I just grabbed those sunglasses, I threw them on, and I transformed. And I said, "The voice comes from Diamond was Page." Get I was born to be a professional wrestling manager. It's big, it's bad, it's normal no, 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 jeans voice. And then I went back to talking like myself, which used to be way higher than this. I went back to talking like myself and. Uh, That was that. A week later, they play it. The next day, I'm in my office. I freaking get a phone call from this guy. His name is Smitty. I get on the phone with him. He tells me he's got a local radio show. That's a boxing show. But he's bringing in wrestling. And he saw me, and he wants me to come on and be the wrestling aficionado. I go, Smitty, I don't really do it. I was making all that shit up. He goes, yeah. I go, dude, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know enough about it. He goes, well, I'm going to have Captain Lou Albano on next week. I go, you're going to have Captain Lou <laughs> on? The same, the same guy who's i idolized since I was 17 and, and I'm watching him in the Sidney Lopper video and now you're telling me you're going to have Captain Lou on that show? I said, do I get to talk to him? He goes, yes, you're my aficionado. I go, I'm in. So I do the show with Captain Lou, and then a month later, we have to do it again with Sergeant Slaughter. After I get done with that, he says to me, dude, you have to do something with this Diamond Dallas Page thing. I go, Smitty, do what? The only wrestling ever comes here is once in a blue moon that it leaves in there. I'm not going to go all the way to Yo, Tampa, you know, Miami to do wrestling and live here. And he's like, I'll tell you what, I got a friend of mine who works for the AWA. He's a, he's a, um, was a boxing promoter. Now he is a, um, he's wrestling, he's promoting AWA. So I'll give you his address. I go, and do what with it? He goes, make up a videotape. You're a creative, fun fucker, man. He goes, I've seen you do all these different promotions in your club. Like, you're the one who does all that, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, treat it like that. So I sat down, bro, and I made up three characters. I already had Diamond Dolls page. I already had the Diamond Dolls. I know I can get my my you know chick one of the one of the chicks I'm fucking and you know getting, you know a bunch of my waitresses who are smoking hot you know to do them for the club. So you know I can do that. You know okay. So who are the other people? The wrestlers. So I make up this character, Big Bad job. Now, he works in my diamond mines in Johannesburg, South Africa, don't you know? And I make up another guy named Rock Hard Rick, who's a friend of mine who I knew wanted to really get in wrestling, and he 6'1", 260, shredded. And then I had a friend of mine, his name was, I gave him the name of, his name was Ted. I called him Ted E. Bear, and he was a midget. (laughs) And, and I brought a friend of mine in who did, it was, his name was Captain Jack. He got the deep, he makes Lee Marshall look like he has a high voice, <laughs> right? Wow. He had the deepest pipes. So he flew in because maybe he could get a gig too. So he flew in and became the interviewer. And we did an interview. I made up these characters. I sent Rob the tape. Two weeks later, he calls me. Page. We want to bring you and your boys in for a tryout. It's in Vegas. <laughs> we have one question, though. You now, we've shown the tape around, and everybody likes your stick, but no one's ever heard of you guys. Where are you working at? Well, um, uh, Rob, uh, none of those guys can wrestle. <laughs> what? why would you send the tape? I said, because it's like a secret society trying to figure out who how to get in wrestling. I said, while those guys, I'm just saying, stick on your feet, Paige. Stick on your feet. Stick on your feet. <laughs> you know, those guys could train while you could give me someone else to manage. And it was basically, don't call us, we'll call you. But this is how my life has always been. When I'm putting the work into something, God puts these things out in front of me. And that doesn't mean it's going to make me money. That means I might be invested a lot more money, but how much do I really believe in it? I don't believe God puts up walls in front of us to keep us out. I believe God puts walls up in front of us to see how much we really want it. And um, um, so um, two weeks later, Greg Ganya Calls me back. i see Rob on the phone. He goes, "Hold on for Greg." Greg picks up the phone. All right, Diamond. Here's what we want to do: I want you to come in. Now, the only reason they're bringing me in is because Paul E. Dangerously, who everybody knows as Paul Heyman, All right, left the AWA and went to the NWA with the Midnight Express which left a huge void for a young guy that could talk. He said, what I'd like you to do is bring all those crazy clothes you wear and a couple of those hot diamond dolls and we'll give you a tryout. I said, oh man, now, I wore leopard skin jackets and zebra pants, not pants, but boots and Jeans with holes in the knees and you know diamonds all over them and I mean I wore that shit <laughs> so I couldn't imagine you know what it would be like if I actually had a reason to wear that shit <laughs> but uh, I went out there and I got the gig and got bad company and it bit me one of one of the best tag teams I've ever seen still today because yeah. they really told a story and great workers way ahead of their time. Uh, it really taught me a lot I got the management do so you know and that she was a lot of fun to be with um but uh, that's how I got my foot that's how I got my breaks you know and and that didn't really you know I was never going to go anywhere from that. it took Dusty bringing me into into Florida, building that relationship getting in wCW and then him telling me I you know, he didn't want to tell me because it, would, it broke his heart and told, tell me, you know, so we got Maggie do it. But I said, fuck this. I want to be a wrestler. And I will never forget. I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's the last show I'm doing with the birds. I look at Michael Hayes and do you remember that blue curtain? I was yep, backstage I do. there. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It's like something, It was such bright blue because of their colors. But I never say anything like this it. a plastic blue curtain. And I'm standing at that blue curtain. And I look at Michael and Jimmy. And I said, You guys noticed my last day with you, right? And they're like, Yeah, dude, we're sorry. You know, we heard. And I said, Well, fuck it. I'm going out of power plant. I got seven months left of my contract. I'm gonna learn how to wrestle. And they both looked at each other and they laughed so hard. <laughs> That I swear to you, Michael P.S. Hayes fell down on his back. He thought it was the most ridiculous thing he had ever heard, and I was like, "Fuck you!" And I'll see you in the ring. <laughs> That's so. Crazy. I go down that power plant. And I started training, and the really cool part of that story is. 19, early 1996. Now, 1995, I was the most approved wrestler of the year, you know, according to Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And if you look at the, you know, rookie of the year, most approved wrestler of the year. I I should have won the rookie of the year at 36, but Eric Watts came in that October of that year and started training and because of the push he got, I mean, he went over to Ron Anderson yep. in the first ten weeks. I remember know? every so, night. So, so she got that spot, and I was number two. And it was funny because when I see Meltzer, when I see Meltzer's report, I know he's going to have me as number one. I mean, he's got he, he's not picking Watts. He's going to sure. pick me. And when I read it, I see Ray Mysterio. Who the fuck's Ray Mysterio? <laughs> so, so, when he comes in, Ray Mysterio, right? He's 18. When he went, when he was rookie of the year, he was 14. Friggin' when 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 I hear Ray Mysterio's in the building, and again, I never, I never forgot his name. Friggin', I heard he, 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 music. I go, you a little Mexican guy? Are you fucking kidding me? And then I watched him. I tell that story and all I'm the like, time. Wow. Yeah, I go, wow. I was second by a long <laughs> way away. <laughs> like, maybe, still, maybe one of the most talented motherfuckers alive. Never mind wrestling. You know, he could have been an Olympic gymnast. You know, he was just such an incredible I'm number two by a mile. (laughs) That what I would have understood. But 1996 came around. And this is one of my favorite stories. I don't tell it that often. I'm home. My career is really starting to take off. Not big time yet, but people are starting to go, wow, this motherfucker. Like, wow, he's, he's having some good matches. And they had me work with Sting on a Nitro. And I went out there and did 10 minutes with him. And, of course, Sting beat me. But he didn't beat me in three minutes or five minutes. We had a hell of a match. And I'm in my house. And I hear my machine go off. And I hear, bye, bye, yes. And I run to the phone. And he's starting to leave me a message. The big phone goes, Mike! Dude, how you doing? Fuck, motherfucker, son of a bitch. Mike, Mike, you okay? You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fucking okay. Paige, Paige, You know how sometimes you don't want the person to answer the phone? You <laughs> want to leave a message. I said, yeah, I know about that. And he goes, I go. Do you want me to hang up so you can leave a message? No, motherfucker, no, no. No, you're on the phone now. Oh <laughs> and you can tell like something's really bothered. Yeah. He goes, We all saw, we saw, I saw your match last night with Sting. He goes, We all saw. It. He said, Paige, I'm just gonna be straight with you. I have never, never been so happy to eat the crow you made me eat. He said that. Was an amazing match, and everybody's watching you, kid. Click,
2: <laughs> you got... First of all, I've never heard anybody who could do a dead on Michael Hayes, and you just did. Second of all, <laughs> I, for, as somebody who knows Michael Hayes a little bit, that had to be tough for him to do because uh, he doesn't like eating crow. But um, I bet he was. He, I bet he, he was like talking from
3: crow. the heart. Yeah, he was talking from the heart, man. He, like, he was so good to me. He at the Rumble. Not the yeah the Royal Rumble when I when they finally brought me up there to be in that spot and, you know me Bubba and um, um God um the uh, I can't remember his name right now uh God such a great kid too um the black guy who ate the worms oh Boogeyman Boogeyman I don't, I couldn't remember that great kid um they like are all we're the mystery tree that are going to show up at the rumble and Boogie's getting kicked right out. Bubba, I can't remember what he's doing, but PS looks at me. Now me and Bubba have already talked about this. Like, you know, who's taking you out, you know, like, yeah, Orton, right. Like that's, who's going to take me out. So I'm ready for it. But I figured, fuck it. Yeah. He's killed every other legend. You know, I guess I'm going to be, I'm going to be his victim. And, um, he he says, okay, here's what we got. And and I got a text from Cody right before he came in. How apropos that I'm the first to take the cutter. Wow. And I'm like, oh wow. So Michael says, Cody, um, um the dancing kid uh uh Flamingo, I don't know, Fandango, Bandago. Bandago and Bray Wyatt are going to take the cutter, like, wow. And then he looks at me, and goes, and you know what's going to happen then? And me and Bubba look at each other and kind of like, yeah, we know. And he goes, and then Rusev comes down. And I popped. (laughs) I was like, oh, Rusev, awesome. Because I I used to have, like, I'll say to Randy, you know, or somebody bringing, you know, Randy, he's a legend killer. But, hey, Randy. Haven't killed me yet.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, how bad can you be? Diamond Cutter versus RKO. Uh, I love Randy, though. He's one of my. And I love. There's very few things on the show I love. I love what's happening with Drew McIntyre. Um, I think he's great. I, I love a lot of the grill stuff. Uh, I My favorite thing, besides McIntyre right now, is. Uh, Edge and Orton, like those boys are writing their own shit there. Yeah, like that's that shit is awesome. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm gonna watch a pay per view just because of that. You know, and, and I'm sure Edge, and that's all through the Edge. I love Edge. I'm I'm so happy that he feels good. I know he's doing my program too to help keep him in there and healthy, and uh, he's such a great human being. I love that kid. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see their match, man. Is yeah, it tonight? I, um, <clears throat> it might be, actually. Or is it next week? I think it's tonight. I, I'll check it out. I'm watch it.
2: But, um, yeah, I was a, uh, I was a big fan of the stuff that uh, Randy and Edge were doing right when they started doing it. The You know, when Randy, you know, looked like he – felt bad. And then he just would do, you know, do a hideous thing. And you kind of had a feeling why, but it still, it made you think it's one of those things that you don't get that much anymore in the business is, is you actually get hooked and you want to watch next week and see, you know, why, you know, why is he doing this? And it was, I, I remember on the podcast, you know, specifically pointed it out. So, so yeah. Hey, a question for you I, I i don't know if you know this it doesn't really matter but i'm back ringing out and doing some stuff behind the scenes for impact wrestling and and i've been up there and it it, it 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 it's amazing to me and i'm sure you see the same thing when you uh go to aew but the entire match is pretty much planned out move for move um and it made me think it, it made me think, it made me think. Mm. Because yeah. you were you were doing that before it was cool, and you would get rasped. No, no, little... no dude. I was I,
3: I was doing that and getting my balls busted.
2: No, I was trying to be
3: nice. I but was yeah, doing you were... that, and, yo, and getting my balls busted. Bob Holly wrote a whole thing about it in his book. <laughs> like, you no, know, Bob. The reason I did it, and I love you, Bobby. I think you're amazing, but the reason why I did it because I want our match to be fucking great. And I can remember staying one time, you know, I said, "Dude, here's what I want to do tonight. And he looked at me and it was, it, was, it was, I'm going to drop the strap to him. I'm going to win it back later that night, but I'm going to drop the strap to him. This is going to be a pay-per-view match. He looked at me and he goes, Dave, that's like a pay-per-view match. I was like, exactly. And I think that's the best. I think that is the best match. I, I will put that match up against any Nitro match ever. Me and Sting, when I dropped the strap to him. And what happened is we got to that last, two, you know, we we're in the last minute of the match. And Charles Roberts, Robertson looks at me and he goes, D, D, you got five more minutes. I go, <laughs> five? He goes, five. And there's Sting coming at me. I just tights. I threw him to the floor. He's like, what the hell are you doing? And, uh, when I got out there, I started choking, and I go, "Dude, we got five more minutes." And I, what what people didn't realize is I called everything in every match. So if I laid it out, I told you where we were going and what we were doing. The bottom line is I could improv whenever I wanted, and that's why Savage and I, who laid every Randy, was the only other guy to do it. And of course, no one. Busted his balls. No, of course not. But you know know what else? I got my balls busted royally over filming my matches. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, every night
2: at the house shows and everything. And why was I doing that, Penzo? Why did you think I was doing it? Well, you wanted to evaluate yourself. And I think also you had a, you know, you talk about writing down the diamond doll and, and all this stuff on paper. You had a, a mind where, and you still do, where you see something and, and, and then you need to write it down because it's just a fleeting, something that comes to you, maybe over booze, maybe over determination, but, but, you know, it it was, it amazes me how many different ways you got in and out of um, out of the uh, uh, out of the uh, diamond cutter, and uh, you know, and now that was a lot of that. You would think of those things when you would be watching yourself on the on the, on the videotape. If I'm correct, maybe I think exactly.
3: I mean, they, it's like game films. The NFL, sure. the NCAA, they all watch the game after basketball, football, baseball, everything. That's how they dissect the game. And if I was starting at 35, my career takes off at 40. I wasn't just dissecting my game in the ring. I was dissecting my body. And how do I keep going? How do I stay strong and mobile and looking great? I'm 64 now. I can still go. And I proved it in January. Now, could I go every night? Not a chance. (laughs) <laughs> but could I go a couple of times a month? Absolutely. Do I want to do that and break my up, my body up more than I had not a fucking chance because I'm not preparing for 65. That's next year. I'm preparing for 75, 85, 95, maybe a hundred. You know, that's what I'm preparing for. That's why I live the life I live and set the examples. I don't, Preach people what I do, I do what I preach. You know, I sure. live it. And uh, the game films, as far as filming my stuff, I just wish I had the four sense to go keep these matches. Yeah, that's I true. Think I had one, I Steve Austin, because he was there with me over a, probably a four month period. Steve and I would get in the ring, like, we'd get to the town early. And he'd get in the ring and he'd work with me. He taught me psychology on stuff, you know, and I would do that with anyone, everyone. But Steve was, you know, Steve was obviously someone really special to our business. For sure. And um, he would get, when I was doing my match, he would lay color. And that was the beginning of who Stone Cold Steve Austin would be. I was starting, I, I thought to myself, fuck. I gotta start saving these things, especially my matches that Austin does. And I had a fucking match, and I lost the VHS. It was of me and Pillman and Steve doing color. Oh wow! And I actually I copied it down. I wrote the Austin tapes. And the next week he was giving pot. I mean Bischoff had that stare, and he, you know, he got fired. Best thing ever happened to him, obviously. But sure. uh bottom line is you know, I, I saw it, I just saw it too late. Imagine if I had do you remember when they shit at the fan with the um with the nasties with Sags and Scott Hall? Do you remember yep. that night? Yeah, yeah. That was in the Louisiana. I, yes, dude. I had it all on film. I know that. And I fucking took it and threw it. Ripped it out and threw it out. And I wasn't going to be pulled in the middle of that shit. I remember that stuff. You know, yeah, I had to protect everybody. You know, the Masters were my boys, but so was Scott and Cap. You know, so I didn't want to be anywhere near the middle of that shit. Um, you know, but then everybody. The point is, everybody everybody videos every fucking thing they do. And there's a million matches from independent guys all over the fucking world. Who started that? Me. Yep. First one to I, ice their body in professional wrestling. Me. Yeah. They used to rib, <laughs> rib you for that. They used to rib you for that too. Everything. And you know, all the guys who rib me, they're all so beat up and I feel so bad that they didn't listen to me. <laughs> you know, so I, I, you know, I, I, today, this is the way i had working out with me today, because we film different stuff different times. And I've got one of my daughters here who's 23, Lexi. Next to her is Bronson Steiner, Rick's uh, youngest, who got drafted by the Ravens. Yes, sir. I saw that. He He's 22. Next to him is his brother Hudson, who came with him, who is, oh my God, he's got Rick's hands. Do you remember how insanely strong Rick's hands were? Yes, sir. Like, he touched you. He could put you on your knees. I fucking felt, I think you open your fingers really wide and create resistance as you're moving. And when I'm showing Hudson, when he turned those hands on and opened them up, I was like, holy, gave me flashbacks. A Rick, we was busting my chops and, you know, <laughs> tearing me apart. Uh, but he's 28. Next to him is my girl, Paige. She's 46. I'm 64. And next to the page is a guy named Ted Evans. He's 85. We worked out for an hour, 54 minutes straight. He's 85. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it goes from uh, Bronson, who's 22, up to Ted, who's 85, in the same out, Everybody doing it to their own ability. That's awesome.
2: You you mentioned the Steiner brothers. Um, God, I've never been so scared in my life. The first week that Impact flew me up to Atlanta, uh, we almost lost Scotty. Thank God, knock on wood. I don't know if
3: you heard that story. No, I did. I have seen him. Bronson brought him over. Actually, See? Scotty, you know, I, I did a workout with him, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to be. So he has to get his shoulder. He has one of his shoulders. Of, um, rotator we'll take a coffee has that fix. Um, but uh, as soon as it's done, I was like, just come back, bro. You know, I'll, 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 I've been, me and Scotty, as you know, we've had some down. Yeah. But overall, I love him. You know, I love yeah. him. You know, I love him. Yeah, just, you know, just, yeah. it, all of us, misfits. You know, we all have, like, me and Rick. I mean, I'm so close to Rick now, you know, player. I mean, I love him to death. And kind uh, a picture of me, him, and Reed, uh, when the, do you remember he did the hair match? Yeah, we got the hair cut, and I, got, I had a picture. And a I was going through because my 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 man cave is ridiculous. It's me and pictures of everyone. That some of them are just regular pictures, the other ones are just fun pictures. And I came across this picture of the three of us, and I called Nate Shop and, uh, and I sent it to him, and he loved it. He loved it. Uh, he was a really sweet kid.
2: So you come up with what was called at the time yoga for regular guys, and now it's called uh, <laughs> DDPY, DDP yoga. Um, for the fans who don't know, uh, you're, you never set out to be a yoga person. You set out to create something different. <laughs> tell, tell that story if you don't mind.
3: Well, you know, I, I'm the guy really who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga the first 42 years of my life. But when you start wrestling at 35 and all you're trying to do is hold back the hands of time, eventually it's going to have to wedge itself in there. And at, you know, my career took off when I was 40. On the back end of 40, uh, it was really when Eddie Guerrero blew his, uh, tore his ribs flying onto me on the floor. And he was supposed to have his finish on me. And he told me, diamond cutter, diamond cutter. And I got that win over Eddie, which I wasn't supposed to get. And then it rolled into the NWO thing. And then it rolled into me and March. And that changed my life. Uh, Scott and Kev are the ones who really lit the fire for that to happen, though. And I end up working then 275 days a year. And at not, to, not to interrupt
2: of, you, I'm but that was the Superdome, right?
3: The Superdome is what turned Superdome it around. Was- that's where it took, that's where it just took off. That's when I hit Scott with the cutter and backdrop kev over the top rope. Never forget. And didn't take the, you know, I mean, it lit, that lit a fire on me that set up me and Savage. And that was Randy who asked for that. Not me. Of course, I didn't wish to work with Randy Savage, but he had to ask for it. And, um, know those next two years i worked so crazy you know and you know you saw me dude i leave with five ice bags on me you know (laughs) over that period and um on my knees both knees both shoulders and my back and uh i um i I ruptured my l4 and l5 in a tag match with um i want to say it was with canyon i I just remember Nash gave me the power bomb, and when it did, it was like someone shot me in the back. And what I did was I, I ruptured those discs that are in between the L four and L five. You you know God gave us this incredible spine, but what makes it incredible is in between the 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 vertebrae are these amazing discs that are like shock absorbers. And they can only take so many bumps. And when I hit, and the way I hit, it would be like stepping on a jelly donut. Okay, those discs are gone now. Now it's bone on bone. And it was excruciating. And, um, you know, uh, I just signed a multi-million dollar three-year deal. But that contract was only good if I wrestled. I had six months I could take off if I injured myself. But if I couldn't come after that, it was null and void. And, um, and I was depressed it, I mean, looking back in my life, it was the worst thing to ever happen to me to be there to have hit the, you know, the, the Mecca, to be at the top of my game, be living a dream at a whole different level and have it all swept away. And what looked like the worst thing that ever happened to me has turned out to be not just the best thing ever happened to me, but the best thing happened to everybody I'm associated with. Yeah. And, um, at that time, I, um, I, I wasn't doing anything, except of feeling sorry for myself. And at some point I know I've got to get out of this. I've got to stop thinking like this because I'm never going to be able to turn this around if I don't change my mindset. And around that time, Kimberly was like, please do the yoga. Please, please do the yoga. It could help you. So, reluctantly, I went downstairs and, you know, I tried doing it. And God, she was perfect, you know. And I couldn't get in the positions. And it was super frustrating. But I didn't quit, I kept at it. And after about three weeks, even though I couldn't do the positions, I could figure out modifications. No one had ever created modifications. I did, but no one up to this point had ever done it. And I was figuring them out for myself. In less than three weeks, I started to feel a significant difference. Now, one night I'm getting ready to go to bed and I'm doing those yoga positions, I'm going through some movements. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, instead of me doing the yoga positions and then the rehab, why don't I mix them together? I was like, wow, that, that really, that kind of works. And then for strength, I threw in different calisthenics, push-ups, squats, crunches, and I did them with a slow burn movement because I had to. And at some point, I'm feeling, wow, I'm like almost two months into this. I'm feeling so much better, but I'm not ready for the ring. And I could blow it out all over again because I'm not falling down. But I'm building the strength. Like so much of yoga is stretching. What I figured out was to flex and engage as I move. Like people who do my workout, from guys who played in the NFL to regular people. Period. When they get done working out, get done working out with me. If they've never done DDPY, and today I'm branding DDPY because I want people to stop calling it just fucking yoga because it's <laughs> not. You know? No, it's not, I've done it. Put it in the box. Yeah, you have, you get it, you know? And the bottom line is, when you're flexing and engaging, being like lifting weights with no weight, you can still create, isometrics is say you push against the wall. Well, you're not gonna move the wall. But if you really dig in and you're in your mind, that wall's coming back at you, you can engage every muscle in your body and just pushing against the wall, you can drive your heart rate up. Yep. Now, that's called isometrics. Now, if you move while you're engaging, that's called isokinetics, but too hard for people to understand. So I call it dynamic resistance. All it is is time under tension. And what happens is every time you flex or engage a muscle, your heart has to be faster to get the blood to the muscle. So you end up getting a kick-ass cardiovascular workout with DVI. You're not just stretching. You're stretching and strengthening muscles, ligaments, tendons. These are all the reasons why Chris Jericho has done my program for nine years. He swears by it. We've talked about it. We've talked about it. Swears by it. Because that's what keeps him going. He's 49. He just signed a multi-million dollar deal with AW. Yes. AJ Styles, who Jericho told you, have got to do it. It's 44, coming up on 44. There's a reason why he can still fly through the air like Superman. Because he's 44 doing the crazy shit he does. I just sent it to Matt party. I just told you. I just hooked up. Um, Jimmy Jab Garvin, uh, the, the champion of, aid of, of WWE is uh, Drew McIntyre. Drew drove seven and a half hours from Tampa to work with me for four hours. Wow. Turned After he did his, his last surgery and then drove back. So he's flown in here three different times to work with me. Now he's got it now where he can work it into his program. He knows exactly what to do. He just got there. He's 34, though, and he's been wrestling for 19 years. So bottom line is he wants to get the real run and make the real money. He wants to keep going. He's living the dream that he's worked so hard for. And, again, I could name friggin 100 guys. Friggin' Cage, Brian Cage. <laughs> I just got off the phone with him yeah, two days ago. It's the guys who get it. And they look at me like when I, when Cody asked me if I would, because he asked me if, if I had any more diamond colors in it. And I'm like, absolutely, you know, for you. And it, and it really kind of, it, it, it was so hard for me because I have such a, I had such a great relationship with WWE. And I still want to believe I do. Um, because everybody up there, they, they know, I mean, this is, this is Dusty's, my relationship with, with Cody is for Cody. But in the beginning, it was years ago when he was a teenager. I wanted to help him out because Dusty had helped me. But at some point, me and Cody, you know, we really bonded big time. Yeah, I'm like his uncle. So, Cody needs to do something, I'm going to do it. And, you know, when it came down to December, he goes, do you think you got one more match in you? I said, singles? No, I'm not doing that. I can't. He goes, no, no, no. Like a six man or something. I said, "With you? He goes, I don't know about me, but he goes, I do have an idea. He goes, let me work on it. I'm like, all right. And then he brought it to me. in the beginning, I said yes right away. And I started thinking about it. Mm. (laughs) You're going to be 64, dude. Like, really? (laughs) Do you want to get in there? I feel great. I don't want to feel bad. The quickest way to feel bad is start bouncing around again. Right. Yeah, you because know, everything's what it's supposed to be right now, you know? And I really thought about it. And it really came down to, first of all, helping him, but risk versus reward. If I go out there and I blow the roof off and I blow a big comeback, this is going to prove everything I've talked about is real. Like, it's not smoking mirrors. I give you fucking. A hundred examples of the boys, NFL players, uh, you know, uh, rugby players, you know, guys who are freaking beating up their body and still going at a later age, you know, by doing my program or not getting hurt. And then when Cody lays it out and he goes, and then you go off the top rope. And I was like, Oh man, <laughs> I have i have never done that. I've gone off the top rope in the ring in my 40s, again, now I'm in my 60s, and we're talking about to the floor. I could break my neck. I could tear my ACL. I mean, any, I, a number of things could happen. And I just thought, I'm going to do this. And then I changed the story I was telling myself. This is going to be the greatest thing I've ever done, as far as where I am in the game. Right, And I'm going to blow people away. And everything I thought was going to happen, happened exactly the way I saw it. And all I could think of was my first night in AWA, we did four matches. We were working a program, the bad company, Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka, were working a program with the legends, the Guerrero brothers, Hector and Mondo. And at one point in the, on the last match, when they both went out of the ring, I was supposed to come to them as well. And I didn't know that Mondo is coming off the top rope to us on the floor. I had never seen that before. And I was so bummed out. I looked everywhere for it. But I had a picture of Mondo, 15, 18 feet in the air. Wow. And Pat and Paul in front of me and me with my arms waving with all my bling. And I'm thinking, what the fuck is he doing? (laughs) And he came down on us. And that was the first night, you know, being part of the, of a real show, not just some little independent thing I did when I was, Twenty three. And the last thing that I may have ever done in that ring was exactly that. Wow. That's pretty that's
2: pretty crazy. That's awesome. You know, you know, the ironic part is Dallas that uh, the same people that kind of snickered when you were scripting the matches. Now everybody scripts their matches. The same people who were kind of snickering when they, when when you used to watch your game film, and now everybody watches game film. And you used to uh, ice yourself. Now everybody ices themselves. They have like uh, doctors mm-hmm. and, and and sports trainers there for it. They they. I remember yeah. when you first started this. They snickered too, and they said, go, what the heck is that?" Page, what is what is Dallas doing? <laughs> He's lost his mind. For and sure. now it's some multi-million dollar business. The app is great.
3: Congratulations, man. Sure. <laughs> thank you man you know just you said it early on you said when you started this, there's no one who would have picked what you did you know maybe you and for me it was actually moments in time and I didn't really think I was going to be a world champion or a hall of famer until one night and I'll leave you with this story this my, oh no this my I have to ask you story. about Shark Tank I have to ask you about Shark Tank okay all right. Well, uh, ask me about Shark Tank, and I'll leave you with that last story. Okay. All right. All right my, go
2: ahead. One of my favorite shows, if not my favorite show, I know you're on it. I watched it uh, the, when it premiered when you were on there. Talk, talk, talk just talk to right. me about you know that story, your experiences, and uh, and, and 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 you know, how, is that is that totally what you see on TV, or is there a little bit of uh, storytelling in there?
3: There is, but um, it's real. It's to me, it's the most realist reality show. Because you know, you don't if you don't get a deal, you don't get a deal. But just because you got a deal, that doesn't mean you got a deal. Right. Because then they have to do all the stuff and check out your company and all that shit. Sure, diligence. So for me, I didn't realize going in there that that they had bought three fitness programs and they all failed. You know. So, you know, looking back they weren't going to buy another fitness program but we had a great, and they wanted me to offer a lot more money. But let me take it back to the beginning. I, you know, we, it, the the fucking, um, the, the shit you had to fill out to get them to call you was like 15 pages. And if it was me and Steve, they both had to be written up. And I don't write up shit like that. So Steve wrote up one for him and one for me and use different cursive. And we, and we sent it in and they called me and we had a great conversation. Then it was five interviews. The next one was phone. Um, The next one was uh, Skype. The next one was, we had to do a pitch. Then I read the, the deal. They want us to come on, but they, basically control all of my PR from the moment it airs until 18 months later. So if I want to do local television in Atlanta and it's Fox, I have to call their PR people to get, see if ABC wants it first. Basically they control your shit. Wow. Wow. And our our whole business is on social media. It's YouTube and Twitter. But all that shit, they had to approve. It's a 27-page contract. Jeez, You have to initial everything, sign everything, whole deal. So Steve gets it all done. And he wants me to sign it. He said, they called us. They need to know. Now, I'm going to Chattanooga that day. That's 90 minutes from Atlanta. I look at Steve. I'm getting ready to leave. I go, listen, I made up my mind. He goes, what are we going to do? It took us two years to get on that show. Wow. He said, I said to him, tell him we love the show. We appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to pass. Now, I'm going to digress into another story. When I signed with WWE, And they wanted me to do the stalker angle. It was the absolute last thing in the world I wanted to do, mainly because I'm going to stalk the guy's wife. Like, are you looking at my wife, bro? She's right (laughs) across from you. Like, she makes every other woman look like a scarecrow. Are you kidding me? Now, I didn't say that. But if I would have been myself, not wanting to be the team player, if I would have been the guy who fought at WCW... I would have said that exact same thing there. right? But again, wanted to be a team player. So wanted to be political. And, you know, I you know, don't really think it's the right deal for me. The bottom line is what I should have done. And this is what I learned from this. Because Vince didn't hold a gun to my head. You know, he was like, here's the offer. Do you want it? And I should have come back and said, awesome offer. Really appreciate it. Great idea. But not for Diamond Dallas Page. What I should have said is, do you want to do people's champion versus people's champion, which was the real money that that would, no matter what they did, that would have got over crazy. Sure. And if you want to do people's Champion versus people's champion, give me a call. Shook his hand. I don't know if I would have made it to the elevator. <laughs> I know you know what not. Yeah. I don't know. You know, but the bottom line is that's what I learned. And when I tell you that, Vince McMahon indirectly helped me become the best businessman that I could be. You know, I, I remember i reverse to another story. I'm going to come back for all three of these. Cody Rhodes, his sophomore year, I said, so when are you you in football? He says, I'm in Dusty's place getting ready to get in the ring. He goes, I'm not going to play football this year. Now, I've done three, two inspirational talks for Cody's football team. When he's a little kid. Little kid? I'm like, you're not going to play football, dude. You love football. He goes, ah, I still love football. He said, I want to focus on wrestling. He goes, I know it's not this year, my sophomore year. My junior year, I'm going to win the States. I went, really? By the way, I always called him Young Buck back then. Always. <laughs> wow. oh, wait. I, I never called him Cody. I said, wow, Young Buck, that's going to be, whew. you know, you know, that's going to take just He goes, work. That's why you see him wearing those belts to say, put the work in. That kid knew work before friggin' anybody. And so that year, he went 48-0. Wow. I was there for the state championship win. The next year, I'm in L.A. at the time. I'm not living here. I'm in L.A. I came back. Next year, and I talked to him all the way through it. I know he fucking... Lost his 12th match. I call up, hey, young buck, how you doing, buddy? He's like, Dallas, I lost. I fucking lost. I said, thank God. (laughs) He said, what? Why would you say that? I said, Code, do you think you learned anything from winning, bro? You don't learn from winning. You learn from losing. You learn from falling down. Yep. You went from making mistakes. That's how you learn. I said, what did you learn from that match? And he told me. I said, you know what the real thing is here? I said, "What would you rather have been undefeated, met this guy in the quarterfinals, and he got you there? He's like, no, no, not at all. I said, here's what happened. He thinks he beat you. You have the advantage. You know where you drop the ball. And I know you. You are working on fixing it every day. What happened over that rest of that season, no one wanted to get pinned by Cody. So all they cared about was not getting pinned. And once he figured that out, he'd take him down and let him back up again. And he'd take him down. And he let him back up again. And he takes the that of yeah, The kid's so blown, he gets pinned. Sure. He meets the kid who beat him, who's like 46 and 0 in the state finals. I'm there no with all my other daughters, but it's just swear to God. Swear to God. I fly in from LA again for it. And I'm sitting in the stands. Now in Georgia, when it comes down to you make it to the state championship, you're allowed to have five family members sit in your box seats right there on the mat. Wow. I'm Brilliant. sitting in the stands with Brittany, and Cody goes, Dad, get Dallas down here. Friggin' Grandpa gets off the bay, and I sit down. Wow. And I watch Cody eat that guy alive and win his second state champion. The bottom line is you have to make mistakes to learn and grow. So did I make a bad judgment call on that? Yes. Did it ruin my career? <clears throat> no. You know, when people would go, you know, some guys on shows would say, oh man, what do you think about Mr. McMahon trying to ruin your career? I would go, what? <laughs> and, I, and one night I just thought of this And this became my textbook answer I said let me ask you a question What team did Michael Jordan Play for The Wizards Or the Bulls And the Bulls I go yeah WCW When I grew to go on top Of the world Was kicking the WWF's ass I said That's the team I played for. Now, am I a family with WWE? Absolutely, because Vince bought it all. He owns it all. And they treated me amazing the last seven years. That's why I was kind of, you know, it would have been anybody else. I would have nothing to do with AEW. But being Cody, it was like a no-brainer. And, you know, I know that as much as Triple H loved Dusty, and loves me that we haven't talked about it, but I know he totally understands, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is, uh, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. So going back to Shark Tank, when I say to Steve, do you believe I put all these stories together? <laughs> <It> was, I'm, <laughs> was, I'm actually it, it, impressed. It, you, it, you it got, got, no, I, I <laughs> was just thinking that. <laughs> uh, so when I tell Steve to tell him, you know, um, you'll love the show, appreciate the opportunity, but we're going to pass. Steve's like, what? We just spent the last two years working on this. I'm like, see, one time in my life, I let someone change me from my, my vision, my goal. And I bended all the rules the wrong way. And it almost really cost me. I go in the big picture. It didn't, but, at the time it cost me really bad. I can't let anybody control us, bro. If if we fall, it's because me and you didn't do our jobs. You know, but I'm not gonna let anybody control me and you know, go, well, I can't because so you know, bottom line is I got in my car and I left the Chattanooga. As I was pulling into Chattanooga, I got a call from Steve. Dave, Dave, you've got the executive producer of Shark Tank on. They want to fix it. Of course they do. Like, cool. So they rewrote that contract a couple times. And finally, when I decided that it was, I could do what I wanted to do, I signed it. We went out there. It was super cool. Everybody, I loved everybody out there. Mark Cuban, you know, every, all the guys. They were all super cool. They loved our story. Um, you know, they wanted me to offer more and I wasn't going to. And I wasn't there for the partnership. I was there for the, uh, for the, uh, um, for the uh, exposure more than anything. And, and so I was going to ask you, because they,
2: they, 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 they asked you if you were, and I'm, I'm thinking Diamond Dallas page, never let a publicity
3: go by piece of publicity go by that he couldn't use. A hundred percent, especially that, which is, you know, that's the benchmark for businesses. Hundred And, when I say, when, I, when, when, when it comes down to Mr. Wonderful, he goes, you know, uh, 200,000 for 5%, more like 2,000 for 50%. And I went, oh, wonderful. And I sized him up with a diamond cutter. You guys, you know, I, I, I said, I said, you know, you guys are going to be like, you know, you're going to see VDP Yoga become a household name. And I hit my forehead with my hand. And you go, and you go, and you guys are gonna go. Oh man, I can't believe I missed it. (laughs) It was great. I loved it. I had a great time. So, here's when I knew I was gonna be a world champion. Here's when I knew that someday I was gonna be a hall of famer. It's 1994, and Dusty Rhodes had been put out the pasture by Eric Bischoff which means they're still paying them, but they don't want to not, they don't want to let him go and let them go to work for Vince. So let's just keep Dusty covered over here. And Dream and I were already so tight. And over this period, I mean, he was just my mentor on every level besides being one of my best friends. Um, and, um, he uh, he was just talking to me about something, and and I, I just he let, he let me vent on him, you know, and I could bitch and the booking committee, and you know these guys are never going to give me an opportunity. All I all I ever really wanted, what I called it, the Rick Rude Jake Roberts spot. Those guys were as top as ablest you know talent as you could get, but in their earlier part of their career in the eighties. They were never going to get that top spot, but you didn't know that. You know they never got there with WWE. But they, if Jake Roberts or Rick Rude was heading to the ring, you did not know who was going to win that night. I don't mean just them two. I'm talking about if they just went there, Rick Rude went to one match, Jake went to another, you're, you're paying attention because you don't know what's going to happen. And whatever is going to happen is going to be entertaining as hell. And that's what, that's the spot I dreamed of because I wanted to go out there and blur the minds. And I told Dusty at one point, I said, I dream, I know I'm never going to be you or Rick or Hulk. I mean, I know I'm never going to be the world champion, but these guys will not even better. Better. Enough. He yelled at me like I've been going a while, but. He never yelled at me before, Uh, but whatever I said really pissed him off. So now I feel kind of stupid because he says, what did you just say, I said, well, I know I'm never going to be Dusty. I know I'm never going to be Rick or Hulk. No, no, no. D, what did you say after that? I said, well, I know I'm never going to be the world champion. He goes, what the fuck are you doing it for? He said, got it. If you, as hard as you were, as far as you've come, if you, if you do not believe you could be the world champion, D, you need to get the fuck out of our business right now. Wow. And he kept talking. And I didn't hear a word he said after that, bro. Because I felt like when he said that, I felt like he reached through the phone and he slapped me across the face. And it woke me up. And like I said, I don't remember what he said after that, but I know exactly what I did. I had one of those phones that had the long cord on it. So you could walk all over your kitchen while you were talking or whatever. And right next to that phone was a ledger pad to write down. If you picked up the phone there and leave a message, I grabbed that ledger pad and wrote, I will be the world champion. In five years or less, I tell people all the time, don't just think it, think it, write it down, burn it into your brain, and own it. If I don't write down Diamond Dallas Page, Diamond Exchange, the Diamond Dolls, ba double if I don't write that down, when they ask me where the voice comes from, I never say that, but I did And I did write it down. And I did write down in five years or less, in 1994, November of 1994, that I will be the champion, world heavyweight champion in five years or less. It was four years, four months, and 14 days when I stepped in the ring with Sting, Hogan, and Flair and Savage is the guest referee. It's the same pay-per-view that two years earlier, Spring Stampede, that I beat Randy in the middle with my finish. And it changed my life so dramatically. I really can't explain it where someone really understands it. But it changed my life in every shape. But my confidence level, went through the fucking route. And it was already there, but it went to a whole different level. And here I am in the ring with three of the biggest icons ever. And I know I'm putting Hulk out with the Red Heart figure four leg rock on the post. Hogan wanted me to do that, so it built heat for me and him later. And I know that Nate is gonna Take the cutter in the middle. Now, I thanked Nate that night, but I never really thanked them the way I way I should have because we had that crazy like, negative energy with each other on and off through my career. But when about eight years ago, I was, I mean, I, I just never understood why me and Nate had our issues and I wanted to fix it. And I met him at a, well, I didn't meet him. I, we were both at a signing right after he did the big balloon drop when he retired WWE, Right, it might've been 10 years ago. Now, whatever it was, I remember, I think it was 10 years ago. And, um, he walked in the green room and he was mobbed by everybody. <laughs> and then after he had gotten through everybody, I was there. He's like, Hey, diamond. Cause we were always super nice to each other, but there was things said, you know, and I and I said, Nate, can I talk to you for a sec? He's like, absolutely. So I pulled him off to the side. I said, Listen, bro. I said, I know that me and you have had heat over the years. And he's like, Oh, I mean, don't worry about that. I go, Rick, I'm not worried about it. I want to try and fix it. I said, I don't know what happened between us. You know, I know I've said some shit. I know you've said some shit. I said, I'm gonna be honest, bro. I don't give a fuck about that. I said. I love the nature boy Ric Flair. I love the guy. You know, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want you to feel that way about me. I said, what I'd love to do, and I put out my hand, I said, I'd love to start all over again. I said, I'm Diamond Dallas Page. And he lit up. He took my hand and pulled me and kissed my forehead. God bless you, brother. You know, Uh, right? But it was real. And it was the beginning of me and him forming a, a friendship when he got sick, I, w- I was there. I was one of the people who went to see him, you know, Hogan was there. Steamboat was there. And I was, you know, PS Hayes was there. Uh, you know, Tony Schiavone, like the super close people, him. And, and, and I was there. And, um, when I got into the hall of fame, you know, I, I say when I got to to that moment, becoming the world champion. And I said, and I want to thank Ric Flair, because Rick, I want you to know, bro, that, you know, it's not lost on me, that without you doing the favor for me, that when you did that, you put me one step closer to this podium. And I just want to tell you how much it beats to me. And (laughs) that, he popped with that, and it really took us to another level, and then the next day I was at going past the bar. He's like, "Hey, Dave hey. come over, drink, calls <laughs> me over." And he goes, "So, what time's your flight tomorrow?" I said, seven thirty. He's like, "What? Who booked that shit?" I go, "Not me." He goes, "Just you're still in Atlanta, right?" I said, "Yeah." He goes all right cancel the cancel the cancel the flight you're fl- you you and brenda you're flying with me i got the limousine lear jet everything's all locked down I, i'm not don't call me before 12 we'll meet down here at two <laughs> o'clock i go rick i've got so many bags you can't even fit in me he goes fuck that he goes go to federal express and fedex your your bags i get there today. He goes. I won't take no for an answer. You're a Hall of Famer. You're flying home with me. And that frigging day it was a bunch of tornadoes. So we ended up in the bar a long time. And uh, and Nate, yeah, you know, we flew them together. And he found that was my birthday. And took me out to dinner, his favorite restaurant. Wouldn't take no for an answer. Just been, that's been amazing. You know. I would always rather be friends, especially a brother, you know, than than you know, especially something I really do love, and uh, yeah. just you know, it, it's 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 all part of our dysfunctional family. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is professional wrestling. <laughs> uh, it's all good. All right, Peds, I got to go. It was great talking to you and catching up with you. And um, anybody who wants to try my program. I you know, don't listen to a word I say about it. Just go to Facebook. There's a DDP yoga, one word. It's, it, it's a members-only thing. Like, there's like 50,000, 47 or 50,000 members on it. The people who do the program. If You want to know anything about the program, go there. Or go to ddpy.com or ddpyoga.com and just don't look at anything Once you get on that site, go all the way to the bottom of the page, watch the videos of the stories of the people whose lives I've helped change. And if that doesn't convince you to try it, you get the fuck off the site. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Great stuff. Hey, thank you so thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure, bro. Stay strong, everybody, because at some point, this shit's going to get way better. I want to thank DDP
2: he needed something uplifting this week and uh, he always delivers. So I want to thank him. Be sure to uh, check out DDPY, Y, DDP Yogi. You can find the app. On uh, your cell phone, you could check it out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, almost every wrestler that I I joke with him that people made fun of him when he started this years ago, and they did. But almost every wrestler that I run into, whether they're twenty or fifty, uh, does DDPY, and I actually did it for a while. Uh, And then my wife was the one who was supposed to keep me uh, doing it every day. She's my motivation. And then she pulled her back. But when I did it, I enjoyed it. I was just looking for something for some exercise uh, without sweating in the 95 degree humidity about uh, last sometime last year and uh, here in Florida. So. Uh, we, we did it and it was fun. It was uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, it, it gets your pulse up and uh, does the trick. So I'm g- we're going to go back to it soon, though. So uh, so I want to thank Diamond Dallas Page and be sure to check out all his platforms and DDPY. Uh, great guy and uh, hell of a story. Uh, Next week, we celebrate three years, three years of this crazy podcast, three years of guests, three years of me. Um, If you're one of the few that were here from the very beginning, God bless you, man. And uh, trying to put something special together, not 100 percent sure it's going to work out. So uh, hopefully we can get it done. And if not, we'll have another great guest on to celebrate three years. It's just an anniversary. I'm not a big anniversary birthday kind of person. Anybody that knows me. My wife wanted to take me out to dinner for my birthday. It was in May last month. She said, what do you want? I said, just make me hamburgers. She said, really? I said, yeah, make me hamburgers and a salad. So that's what we did. Guys, uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter at David Penzer, all one word. And uh, be sure to spread the word. Tell your friends and neighbors. If you enjoyed the interview with Diamond Dallas Page, be sure to go on social media and let people know. And uh, we appreciate that in advance. And until next week. I'm David Penzer, still sitting ringside.
1: Stay safe. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence.
0: This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. Quick fix on Radio Influence.
1: Before we move on to Fight Island, let me let me just do a little true-false with you. 12 months from now, Dana White is the president of the UFC.
0: Um, it's a great question. Seems like he's snapping. But Dana White has, has felt like um, he's been snapping for about seven straight years. I would say... Uh, No, I don't think he's going to be the the head. I don't think he's going to be in the same position. I'm going to tell you why. We are canceling everybody in this world. Everyone is getting canceled. And you tell me Dana White in the next 12 months is not going to do something that gets himself canceled. I just, I'm not taking those odds. (laughs) I think he's going to get himself canceled some way and he's going to to be gone. If I had to guess, that's my guess, Jason. I'm going on that. But it just seems like, man, he's tired. But the deal is, this is in his blood. This is in his DNA, and I cannot imagine this man not promoting a fight. He loves promoting. He loves the fight game. It's hard to imagine him stepping down, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets canceled in some way. That's absolutely absolutely possible.
1: Bro, he has fu money. Why? Why? why I, the thing I don't get is why does he continue to put himself? you know, in, in just, I mean, look, he he has a difficult job. There's no doubt about it. His job is extremely difficult. I, I, you know, I understand that it's, it's not an easy job for him. So I would almost say that I think that the likelihood is, I don't think he has that he's with the UFC in 12 months. I, I just see that maybe he just decides, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm I'm, I'm, uh, I'm moving on next to my life. But look, it wouldn't surprise me if he still is, is the manager, of, uh, or excuse me, the president of the UFC in 12 months from now. But
0: The MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvon can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.